From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Empty spread. They fake it to Jones. Keeper fields. Cuts inside. Looking for the goal line. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Patriots show blitz. They got a picket fence behind them. Quick throw. Screen. Herbert to catch 20. There he goes. 10. Nobody's going to touch him. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown Bears. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Tuesday. Cofield and Company. Adam Hill is here as the company. It's Steve Cofield, Finley Toyota Studios. It's our, we're actually on the road today. Thanks to uh, Battleborn Injury Lawyers for providing a uh, backup studio for us. Much needed today. Uh, you hear the Bears highlights coming in. That's crazy. Man, I was mad last night. I wanted to bet the Bears. I wanted to do a first half bet uh, plus five because I had the feeling that Mac Jones would be ass and that Zappy would come in after the half. But as it turned out, Zappy came in earlier and then he was good. Second half was a disaster for the Patriots. A lot of the first half was with the turnover. So we'll get into the Bears and the Patriots because it's a pretty big story, especially what's going on with the Patriots. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. But we start out with, we'll probably be doing this all week, primer for the World Series. Why? Because normally on this show, the last five years, the World Series has kind of been, even on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, on the back burner. That's where baseball is now compared to NFL. And the fact that we have the Raiders here, the rest of the NFL, and college football nationally is just bigger, plus VGK. But the Las Vegas Phillies angle is a really cool angle. And the fact that Bryce Harper who has now just blossomed into – he was freaking awesome before, but he's blossomed into just a, a ridiculous level player, and his personality is different, and I feel like he's turned out to be perfect for Philadelphia, or Philly's been perfect for him. He's a lot more chill than he was. I feel like he's enjoying himself more, and in terms of what he's doing on the field, he's just freaking mashing. He's a feared guy now. And you throw in Bryson Stott, which is another crazy story. A guy was on UNLV Rebels you know, just a few years ago, you know, gets drafted first round by the Phillies, doesn't play for a year because of COVID, which is nuts. His development held back. He wasn't good to start the year in terms of hitting. And then he closes out the year in strong fashion. And now he's in the World Series with Bryce Harper. And you and I are close followers of the Philly sports scene. And then you got the evil empire and the Astros and best organization in baseball, whether they do it cleanly or, you know, in dirty fashion, who knows now. It's it's a great great setup, and we've got a local angle to uh, you know watch and potentially root on the Phillies. Yeah, and obviously everybody knows Bryce is from here. You mentioned Bryson Stott being a UNLV guy. He's also a local. I mean, he's been around here forever. He's a true, true, true local so guy. Not that not that Harper wasn't. Not that Harper wasn't. But, Har- but Harper, you know, Bry- Bryson took the traditional route of you know college to major league baseball, but a high school guy here. Bryce was basically done with high school at sixteen or seventeen years old. He's been Tiger Woods of baseball forever. Yeah, I think most importantly, as I, I was just saying, so high kid. Uh, okay. To make that a thing. I mean, I think Sorry, so. I cut you off. Yeah. He did go to a Desert Oasis, which is in so high. So I assume he's a so high kid. Uh, but yeah, just such a cool story. And, and uh, the connections between them go back a long, long time. Uh, you can 
Uh, I'm sure the stories will be told quite a bit, but the, the family connections between those two families uh, and then obviously Bryce going back when he was in Vegas uh, during the off seasons to go to kind of speak to the UNLV program and hang out with them and be around uh, guys like Bryce and like so many cool angles. But I think on, on Bryce Harper in particular, and you mentioned the kind of season he's having, the kind of postseason he's having, he looks like he's having fun more than he ever has in the past. It's just, it, it is so rare, even though we've known since he was like 11 here in Las Vegas that he was going to be a great player. Do you know how rare it is for those guys that are identified when they're 11 years old, 12 yeah. years old, yeah. to actually be this? Well, that's why Bryce Harper, Tiger Woods, and LeBron, LeBron James yeah. are, it's insane because there are so many more, you know, top five, the next great dudes. Sebastian Telfairs. Who, who, you know, just aren't are good players or some of them don't even make it. We're running into trouble. So for you know these three guys in this era, and obviously LeBron and and Tiger are a lot older than Bryce Harper. But what Bryce has done, and am I right on the whole angle of like Philly has been really good for him because I felt like he was just this kind of rehearsed character. And I mean, let's be honest, Washington sucks as a baseball city. Their ownership sucks. They don't care about winning. Uh, I'm so, and and then they you know they kicked him on on his way out the door like he was the jerk. I'm yeah. so glad he landed in a place that is all sports, they freaking love it, and that he's reacting to it well. Because that could also, you know, at the beginning, remember, there were some morons like 20 games in, he's striking out, and they're like, ah, ah, like flipping out. Like, that's what they do there. And I'm glad that he's reacted to it well. And you've got other guys on the team, like, you know, obviously Reese Hoskins has been, you know, Bryce, about the same level as Bryce, and he's just having fun doing freaking helicopter with the bat. And I, I just, I love what's happening. I'm not not always a true Philly fan, but, uh, you know, they – they do have passionate fans, so I'm glad yeah. it's worked out here for Bryce Harper. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to go the cynical angle at all, but I, that's what I usually do. Like, there also is something to. He, he was. He was always. He always had money. He was always kind of rich, but there is something to getting to that massive contract and free agency. Yeah, where you're like, yeah, I'm, this is it. Like, I, I can just have fun. Right. Like you, you are kind of always working toward making sure. Like not only you, but your generations are secured forever and ever. And like when you when you finally get it, it is much easier to relax, I think, and just settle down. And I think that kind of happened a little bit for him, where he got to Philly, he got this deal, and he's set for not. Uh, he was always set for life, but everyone is in a round of is set for life. And now you can just kind of enjoy yourself. You've worked everything you've worked for is here, and now it's just about having fun and enjoying. You it. see uh, some of the betting stories on this. Um, one small better put fifty bucks. On the Astros to beat the Phillies at plus twenty five hundred. Am I reading that right? Pretty good. Hundred twenty five thousand dollar ticket right now. Yeah. And then what do you do on the hedge on that one? Oh man, I mean, you got to you got to go pretty big on it. You don't. Have to go, I don't think you do series. I don't think you you go game to game. I don't think you even want to wait. Like, so if you want to say, "Hey, I think they're going to win the first two, and then wait and do it," I I wouldn't do that. So what do you do? Like thirty percent of it. Probably at least at least and then, and then how do you, you know, how do you get down whatever? You got to spread it around. The, the thirty-seven five you need. Yeah, you got to spread it around a little bit. Well, somebody will take it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Well, that's I think these days someone will take it just for the pub. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the you know the other side pub. Why not? Hey, we take these kind of bets. And then there also is a, a massive insurance policy on the game, or on the series. And you did see that uh, the furniture guy Mac in that's in. What I'm referring to. Oh, that one. There's a big insurance policy. I, I don't, I, oh, okay. It's not a bet. Yeah. I never call it a bet. Right. I don't think anybody should call it this a bet. This one is pretty crazy. You have to you have to admit, there, there is the payoff on this is gambling. There's 
the the guy Mac has an Astros ticket or tickets that will win him seventy five million dollars. I mean, he did. We'll say technically gamble on the the winnings. I guess like the amount he's going to win is unheard of. Sure. But for for those that are kind of confused with what we're saying, let's go back to the beginning and say, you know, back in the day when a store or a company did a promotion, they would buy insurance, right? Like, hey, we're going to do a promotion here. If this happens, we're going to give away everything for free and then buy an insurance policy. And he came along and he loved sports betting. He loves betting. And he said, why would I buy an insurance policy? Let's just make it a bet. Right. So he he insures his promotions through bets. Mm hmm. Which is, it's just buying an insurance policy, it's just in a different way. Right. And then negotiates better lines with the sports books for promotion. And, you know, that's, that's how he works this out. And that's what he's done here. And he's got a position for his insurance policy to pay $75 million. Yeah. And if they, if the Astros don't win, he'll not have to refund all the other people's furniture. I don't know that he's ever really lost. No, no, never. Yeah, it's BetMGM and uh, Patrick Everson, one of our buddies, talking to BetMGM, said uh, Mac has taken over just about all of our liability for the World Series. Um, I did like this comment shortly after on Mac, Mattress Guy. Wait till they find out that he's moving for Billy Walters. I don't think that's the case, no. but it is kind of a funny mention. Sure. It's. I mean, yeah, we, we know what he's doing. He's, he's ensuring his promotion. Yep. But it'll be pitched as a $75 million win. Well, that's why I want to always make it clear when I talk about it. Ruin the fun. Uh, well, it's not, it's not even that. It's, right. That's, that's the truth. Like, that's factually. Wow, real. this guy is really risking it all. He's right. not. He's yeah. not. He's, He's buying an back, insurance policy. He's got it backed up by Look, his furniture promotion. It's also smart because he, really is, smart. he is not only, if you buy an insurance policy, nobody ever knows that or cares or talks about it. No. He gets countless millions of dollars in promotion. No. By ensuring his promotions this way instead of through that. Like, that's a brilliant marketing strategy for sure. I, yeah, I don't he might, he might be getting, that. I don't know, he's getting $75 million in free promotion, but he's getting millions. millions. Every time he does that, he's probably gotten $75 million in promotions over time. Of course. No question. Golden Knights are back tonight on the road against the Sharks. Back to back. What did you see last night? They played really well. I, I mean, I thought they, they came out. They... Uh, were aggressive, especially defensively, early in the game. Uh, they got a goal, got overturned, and then scored right away. Just said, okay, we're going to take it away. We're going to do it again. Uh, then the, the the Maple Leafs answered, put a put a nice push together, tied the game, and the Golden Knights responded. And, and I thought they did a lot of the things. A lot of what Bruce Cassidy wants in his system showed up yesterday. Uh, you know, A lot of the offense was kind of kept to the outside. Uh, there wasn't much going to the net. There was Occasionally there was a couple of pushes where – Things got a little bit wild and reckless, but um, I think they settled down. They were able to settle down and find themselves. Logan Thompson played a really, really good game, and I thought defensively around them they played really well. I just I thought that was the, the kind of effort that the Golden Knights want against a really good team. You uh, Last week you kind of poo-pooed the start a little bit by saying, hey, the competition hasn't been great. Let's see what happens against the Avs. Avs take them down 3-2. What does a win against the Leafs mean? It's good, I think, for sure. Uh, the Avs were – the Avs is a game that I think you – you probably want to have back because I think you want to win that game. The Avs were very shorthanded with you know three of their better players not playing. They were on a back-to-back. Uh, there was a lot of factors going in the direction of the Golden Knights that they probably wanted to have that win. Uh, but they give up two power play goals, and you can't put a team like that on the power play, especially when you're trying to 
you know, not let them get any energy and life on the second half of a back-to-back and, you know, third game in four nights. Uh, so I, I don't think they loved that game. Uh, but I do think last night was a, a much better representation of what they want to be. And now they have to try to follow it up, going on the road against a bad team uh, on the second half of a back-to-back on what's going to be a, you know, a, a game that gets a lot of attention nationally. Yeah, a lot of attention for Phil Kessel and the Ironman streak. We're going to talk to Darren Millard towards the end of this hour, of course, Darren from uh, AT&T Sportsnet and our VGK Insider Show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. So you heard the Monday Night Football highlights coming in. I mean, I think it's fair to call it a stunner, at least from the standpoint of how easy it was for the Bears. The Patriots looked terrible real quick on the Bears. Bears for the season, their point differential is actually kind of short because they've been playing in a lot of you know slop fest. They're three and four, as stated by one person putting out the notes about the minus six point differential. The uh, That number is actually better, and it's 16th in the NFL, but it's better than Tennessee, Green Bay, Cleveland, the Rams, the Chargers, and the Colts. Uh, in that group, I think most of them, someone had them making the playoffs. I would say four of the six were consensus choices by most people to make the playoffs. Do the Bears have a shot? Did they did they actually hit on something last night, or did they just run into a terrible team turning the ball over left and right? Because there were moments when you watch and you're like, okay, this is what Justin Fields is supposed to be doing. Yeah, do they have a shot? It's the NFC. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. They've, they've got a shot. They've yeah. got a shot uh, for sure. Uh, are they good? No. But I also – I would – I'm, I'm going to hesitate on point differential being a factor in why they are okay because they played games where they were running the ball 100 times right. and not allowing the other team to have the ball right. and just keeping games low scoring. Like they were key, they were staying within a number instead of actually opening up and trying to win a game. They were just they were just trying, trying to not clock. to lose a game and hang around. Right. right. So I mean, yep. I I hesitate a little bit on the point differential saying being indicative of them being a better team than we thought. But I, I also don't think Justin Fields is bad. I think he's in a system that doesn't fit him well. I think they exactly. haven't really figured out how to use him. I think they started to a little bit yesterday. So they're better than awful. But I also I'm not gonna I'm not gonna run away and say this is this is some force to be reckoned with at this point. Uh, they they have a long way to go, but they're right in the mix. They're they're doing enough as they're figuring things out to stay in in striking distance. Coming up, Raiders make a big deal. I think I don't know. I thought he was uh, going to be a contributing factor down the stretch, but Raiders decided that one of their defensive linemen was no longer needed. He has been shipped off to Dallas. We'll tell you about the deal. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. That's one area with the Dallas Cowboys that you think you can make hay against. Now you put in a Stallworth in the middle. Hankins has played in this league. I believe he's in this eighth year. He's known for being able to clog up the middle and be a stout defender against the run, which Dallas is going to need in order to make a run as far as the Super Bowl and deep into the playoffs. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Marcus Spears on the Raiders trade today as the Raiders move on from Jonathan Hankins. Uh, Hankins actually in his 10th season, and the last two have been his worst, at least according to Pro Football Focus. This year, 
He's uh, at a 51-8. Last year was a 46-2. This is a guy for most of his career, just to put it in perspective, because the numbers don't mean anything to people except for the fact I'll explain to you that being in the 50s is not good. No. Uh, but most of his career, he's been a guy who was, you know, around, around 77, and he's just faded a bit. And clearly with his coaching staff, they were ready to move on because uh, when you've got a guy who's in your defensive line rotation uh, playing a decent amount of plays and you trade him basically in a pick swap, that says a lot. Well, he was. And over the last four years, obviously, before this administration, he's played in 60 games, started all 60. This year he's only started once. And against Kansas City two games ago, healthy scratch. Last week, 12 plays yeah, 12 defensively. Plays, week before 16, so yeah. he hasn't played a whole lot. Yeah, so he's been falling out of favor, and uh, Neil Farrell has actually started to play a little bit more, and I think they want to see him out there even more often. So Risky move to- in the risky move while you're trying to kind of get things back going again, or, you know, they, they're kind of – seems to me like they're kind of balancing, hey, we're trying for this year, but we're also – we got to keep an eye on the future, and we got to play some of these young guys that we took, you know, Third round, well, fourth round on down. Well, it's also a continued, uh, a continued sweeping out of anybody that was here before they took over. Just yeah, yeah. we don't need any of these guys. These aren't our guys. We're moving on from them. Right. And also keep in mind, here's another thing: uh, they got rid of a player on their roster and replaced him with who? Nobody. So there's a roster spot open right, right now, and they've got. I think a going. In, I think going into this move, they have the third most cap room. And Still now. Do. So now that, but they even have even more money. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. So the, there could be another move on the horizon. It's not like yeah. they moved him out, brought somebody else in. Uh, there is an open roster spot right now. You mentioned this yesterday, real brief, because you uh, you served as a guest on the show. And I want to bring it up again. Some folks, and some of them are, you know, the bloggers that cover the Raiders. There's a good number of Raider folks who any kind of shiny object that may be available via trade or free agency, they're interested in, and it's almost always on offense. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You mentioned McCaffrey being thrown out there in rumors that the Raiders could be interested in him, and it's like, okay, they already have Josh Jacobs, who's been great. They already sent the message to Josh Jacobs that we may not be interested in paying a running back north of anywhere, I don't know, $8 million dollars. And this is also not a team that – do they need offense? I mean, I think they need to figure out the offense, but the pieces are in place. Unless Waller's down for the year, you know, then maybe they need some help at tight end. But they need help on defense. They're not going – I don't think. I don't believe they're going to spend this cap room, if they do it at all, on the shiny offensive object. It's going to be on defense, no? I would think so. I mean, it's possible that they could get a tackle. Okay, well, or an offensive line. Yeah, yeah. I meant, uh, I guess, skill position. I don't think they're offensive line guy. Yeah, I don't like. Uh, would it be? It's not completely out of the question. I mean, Mac Collins has been good, but I don't think anybody thinks he's some dominant, you know, outside wide receiver. Now he's made plays when he's been called upon for sure. They love him. Mm-hmm. They love him on special teams. They love his presence. They love his leadership. Everything. Could they add another receiver? Potentially, it's possible. They're, they're not adding a running back. <laughs> That's not no. what they're doing. No. Uh, it, it, it would, I think it would be offensive line or somewhere on the defense if they were going to add somebody in the next week. The Odell Beckham thing is the dumbest narrative, and it has been the entire football season. Especially because I think he's going to the Rams. Well, I, for the most part, I think he's back like the last two weeks of the year. Yeah, 
If that. He's a playoff guy. He tore his ACL in the Super Bowl. That's February. We get like day-by-day coverage. I mean, I think a lot of it's just pushed out by his people. Yeah. This is absurd. And the Raiders would be one of the last teams, unless there's a horrific injury, to go after Odell Beckham. And you just mentioned he's a playoff player. Who knows if the Raiders are going to make the playoffs? They're 2-4. and Yeah. For not sure. adding Odell Beckham. Well, and a lot of the attention and, and the focus, and as you mentioned, you don't know where these things are coming from, but that he was going to be ready to go like second week of November. And that's been that's been the case for like five months. That was the target. Do you believe that? No, because he's, what, he's, three days ago, it was uh, middle of December. Yeah. So, the, I mean, that has changed the last couple of days, but there was, a, I think, a lot of the attention. And if you look, you know, most picked up fantasy players on in, in your leagues every week, the last two weeks, Odell Beckham has been right at the top because there's been these rumors. Two weeks oh, away, God. one week away, it's coming. Because November was said has been said for months it was November. And now, eh, December. So there's something. There's what, is, what does he even come on. back as? Like, What are we looking at, 85 or 90%? A 10-month absence because of an ACL? We're, we're going to go, we're going to keep expecting miracles out of guys coming off ACL, especially receivers? Yeah, and I mean, I, I know a lot of the a lot of the excitement was because he got so good by the end of the year last year, and was so valuable in the Super Bowl. People think that's kind of the same path, but first mm-hmm. of all, you've got to get there, yeah. and he's probably not going to help you very much to get there. He's just maybe going to help you when you are there. So uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I just is it possible? Sure, it's just I, that's not the kind of move to me that they would be making. Boy, it's too bad the Raiders don't need a running back. I mean, it's a good thing because Jacobs is carrying him. He's got him back into a, a you know decent mix here, a two and four. They got a shot. But running backs just are worth nothing. Yeah. Jets had a need. And, you know, James Robinson had fallen out of favor in Jaguar land, uh, especially in the preseason. But he actually – he was producing. So he's a guy who's averaged his whole career, like four, 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 five a carry at a 1,000-yard season his first year as, you know, whatever – 40, 50, 60% guy in New York to replace Brees Hall. I'm not saying he's going to replace him fully because Hall looked like he might be the offensive rookie of the year, but Jets make a, a decent deal there. If the Jags wanted to get rid of him, the Jets were waiting with a six-round pick. So pretty low cost if he's productive. It's amazing what, what running nothing, backs get. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> six-round pick, nothing. It, it's what people – you know. Talk, look, McCaffrey got what, four, four ones? No. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing what people think running backs are worth. Because they're so much in the public eye, right. and then what they really are, it's it's crazy, and we're, I mean you're going to see it. I somebody might end up paying Josh Jacobs. I don't think it'll be the Raiders, but he's playing his way into. And again, this is not me. I've made this case many times. I think running backs get totally screwed by the NFL system, and I think they need to redo the system so that you can pay running backs outside the salary cap structure and reward them for what they do. But the reality of the landscape is that just doesn't happen, and running backs don't really get paid, and especially running backs that don't catch the ball at a high rate. And so that, that's what you're going to be stuck with, and somebody will end up paying them, but I don't think it'll be the Raiders. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. 
what's so interesting about Oregon is that after they were shellacked by Georgia on the opening weekend, we just wrote them off as a disaster. What they did over the weekend was impressive. They have a lot of key games remaining, but ultimately I think they would be the team. We're not talking about Michigan a lot. I think we will start talking about them as they have Michigan State and they'll end up with Ohio State, but they seem to be overlooked as well. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Paul Feinbaum, little college football there, talking about teams that are uh, having good seasons but maybe overlooked. Uh, Oregon's going to be a really interesting one if it ever did work out. Well, actually, a lot of it corrected itself this last weekend, right? We were talking about unbeaten teams, and it's going to be a mess at the end of the year. You could have the SEC needing to get three teams into a four-team playoff, and then what about unbeaten UCLA, and what about um, you know teams like TCU? We'll see. We'll see how this works out. I College football is so balanced. Most of these schools are going to knock each other off. And then you're, you're going to get to the end of the season, potentially in a situation where uh, Tennessee rolls through the remainder of their schedule. Not going to be easy, but they could be outside of the SEC title game, Georgia, Alabama. And then people are still going to want Alabama in if Georgia beats Alabama. So um, it's going to be messy. But I, the whole thing I was mentioning with Oregon, though, is Oregon could have a great season, but it's always going to stick in people's craw. And in some ways, rightly so. Teams do get better as the season went along, but they were so bad yeah. in that Georgia game. It's hard to erase that. Yeah, and look, I I don't want to jinx it, but it's very unlikely either Michigan or Ohio State loses to anybody except themselves when they play each other at the end of the year. So you're, if that game is close, the loser belongs in also. So, I can't argue I mean, with that. It's gonna, it's gonna be. It's, I mean, and I'm, I'm not. But saying, then there's gonna be people who go back to last year and are like Michigan again. Yeah, they're showing what what they are. Well, they're much better than they were last year. I don't know if they are or not, but it's also a terrible matchup. Yeah. I mean, I think Alabama is worse this year, but I guess we'll see how they close out. They've been in a lot of close games and they've lost one. It's look as you said last week. Some things started to work out by the end of the year. It's, it usually does somewhat work out because we get down to like eight or nine deserving teams instead of 14 or 15. But, I mean, right now there is a lot of possibilities for it to get very ugly. SEC certainly being one if, you know, Tennessee comes back and potentially maybe loses again and Georgia loses once and it's all three one-loss teams. Like, who gets in if it's basically a round robin? It, it's There's going to be a lot of possibilities. But you hope a couple teams a couple teams kind of fall off and it becomes a little bit easier. By is it end. bad if I say I really don't care anymore? The the 12-team playoff never in some do. form of – well, no, I did. I would say I didn't, and then I get all mad at the end of the year, but I would try not to talk about it because the system blew and there's not enough teams, and now they're coming up with a playoff that will correct things in a couple of years. This is interesting, though, with the bowl alignment, you know, all the um, the ties. So Vegas has a bigger bowl game with a rotation of the Big Ten, SEC, and Pac-12. Pac-12 is always in, and then Big Ten and SEC rotate. Latest projection, at least from one person, Vegas would have Utah and LSU. Interesting matchup, and Utah travels well. I, I hope that LSU fans would travel. I would think so. You would think. What do you think their impression will be of Sam Boyd Stadium? Is this game going to be at the Al? I think it is. Okay. Because there are some snafus that are going on. You'll remember the Raiders want... What is it? A 36-hour turnaround? It's, Leeway, 24-hour? 15. 15 hours they need. And that's why UNLV can never play a Saturday night home game if the Raiders are playing the next day at 105 or 125. Well, 
if I'm correct, the Las Vegas Bowl has been scheduled for a while for 4.30 on Saturday the 17th. The 18th, the Raiders are at home. Night game. Okay. But they could be flexed back. That's the issue. So if they're flexed back, all of a sudden they're 1 o'clock. 4.30 start for college football. I mean, you probably can't get really working on the changeover. They got to slide in the plate with the grass versus the turf. Got to do some things. Got to pull out some stands. Although, yeah, whatever. They got to do some things to to get the stadium ready. So if you're looking at 10 or 11 o'clock, that would be what? 12, 13 hours, which I think is enough time, but I don't know if the Raiders believe that. Yeah, I don't think they do either or care. And I, I also. There's some pretty big TV tie ins here on the Las Vegas Bowl. Well, also, the they're, they're in a prime. Part of what they're advertising here is we moved back because we didn't like being that close to New Year's. We've got the Saturday night audience on national TV where the game for college football bowl games. And all of a sudden, it's like Raiders could look at it and go, well, we got to wait until we know. If we're flexed, well, might not know until a few weeks before. Yeah, I think it's eleven days. Uh, oh, not even not even two weeks. I eleven think, days. And I think the SEC also rewrote their rule book in order to play in this game because they're not allowed to have teams play before Christmas in the poll games. Oh wow! And I think the rule specifically says it has to be prime time at Allegiant Stadium. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so why why wouldn't I mean? Do we know what's going on on the Raiders side? Are they really pushing back? On it being only like 13-hour turnaround? Well, they, Potentially. they need to wait until they find okay. out if the game gets flexed. So how do you put together a game when no, no one can give you an answer? Well, guess you don't. Okay. What if... Well, I guess it would still be... Uh, if Sisolak loses, it'll still be... He'll Sis- still be Sisolak in office, not Governor Lombardo. What if like the governor... Steps in is like, all right, come on. For the good of the city, this is a this is a gigantic bowl game partnership. That's a massive weekend well, for us. Come on, Raiders, be be cooperative. I helped I helped get you the seven hundred and fifty million dollars in Clark County. Let's be a little flexible, Raiders. Wouldn't the answer be? Why didn't anybody talk about the city getting better terms and conditions on the contract when it was actually done? Oh, nobody talked about it. Nobody brought this up. You like to do the, nobody did this. Nobody mentioned <laughs> that these things should be in the deal as a condition of getting the 700. Where was Michelle Fiore to read SB1? Can't bring that Where up. Where were we? Why didn't we why talk did, about why this? Why didn't we do it? We blew it. The media blew it. And the reason I mentioned Michelle Fiore is she came on with us as a guest, having no idea what she was walking into, and basically admitted on the show that she hadn't really read through yeah. any of SB1, the $750 million funding and the whole vote for the stadium like none of them did but very few of the politicians in place at the time as state senators and assembly people very few of them really read it and i don't know that there was an active discussion about this 18 hour 15 hour 12 hour turnaround between unlv games or bowl games for college football and the raiders and the reason i'm saying it's so annoyed is because i i've i've had friends of mine that listen to this show yeah so remember when you were against the stadium? No. We were never against the stadium. We were against not having more things in the contract right. that allowed to govern things like this that were good for the city. That's what we talked about. Not being against the stadium, being against the deal as it was written without concessions for us and other events at the stadium. That's what we talked about. Now it's coming to fruition. Coming up next, we get to uh, VGK. They got another game on the way tonight. It's a uh, 
Massive game for one Phil Kessel. What a story with this guy. Join Cofield and company on Thursdays for the live 2-5 to five show at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get 77-cent beers. It's Thursday Night Football at Silver 7's Flamingo in Paradise. I think you know, right from puck drop, I think the whole team bought into the system. And, you know, we really didn't, you know, fall away from that all game. And um, I think it was our best game of the year so far. Head off and neutralized by Hague. Scampers back in. Hague to the middle of Matteo shoots. He scores! Rifles it off the crossbar and in. Mike Matteo gives the Knights a 3-1 lead. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Knights rocking and rolling. Dan Duva on the call there. Logan Thompson, the first voice you heard. Let's bring in Darren Millard as uh, BGK Insider Show is coming up in uh, just a little bit. I think 5 o'clock start today. What's going on, Darren? No, I'm just enjoying the extra hour before I have to roll in. There you go. Very chill, very chill. Yeah. If we knew, we would have kept you all next hour and put you to work, right? No breaks. Well, no, no I'm breaks surprised that didn't happen. I know. Are you? Well, a little bit. Uh, trying, <laughs> if, if I'm already booked for the 4 o'clock hour, I'm surprised I get it off. All right, let's get into, first of all, the story of Phil <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to go down that path? <laughs> Not really. Um, the story of Phil Kessel. Uh, this yeah. is a pretty amazing story. Uh, you would expect, you know, some hulking figure, you know, not to bag on him, but uh, talk about his his lead up to this and how special a record this is once he steps foot on the ice tonight with the Ironman record. Well, it's, it's unbelievable uh, in, in the sense of being able to navigate yourself for 990 games now uh, and, and be able to make uh, an appearance in every one of them and and get through that. That's uh, one is is staggering considering nine hundred and and fourteen uh, stood for a long time, and nine sixty four uh, was around for thirty five years, and now he's up to nine ninety, which is uh, just uh, just blows my mind from from uh, the the history that I'm used to. The other part is he's you you mentioned his body type and uh the fact that he's not what you'd expect from from an iron man uh he he just shows you that he's just a, he's a natural he's just a one of those sort of freak of nature some guys have can can throw a fastball 105 miles per hour that's this is what Phil does he just he doesn't get hurt his his body is uh is immune to tears or tweaks or any type of uh uh, uh challenges to it that that'll knock it out of uh out of commission so uh it's it's just a, a unique situation a perfect blend do you foresee him being a case study in the future of people saying see look don't don't freak out about fitness just show up and be you no i i don't think coaches <laughs> or, or 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 gym uh trainers will, will necessarily go down that path uh and and you're right like i've, I've heard the, the stories are are legendary about phil showing up in, in summer training and everybody's been there for 45 minutes to an hour he does two sprints and then leaves and everybody's still <laughs> going to be there for another three or four hours and he and he's done his thing uh he, and and he performs at the same level as the other guys are better while he's there and and he, and he takes off it's just it's it's not like he can't do it he's able to accomplish all the tasks that uh, that the trainers want him to do and he just doesn't have to do it nearly as long to to be effective and uh, it it fits his personality adam you've been around him 
He's yeah. he's got the aw shucks. Uh, doesn't really like uh, getting into deep conversation. Uh, looks at the floor and then wants to get out of there and uh, as fast as possible. And it sort of goes with with the training part. Why did the league decide to ruin the moment last night by overturning his goal? Uh, yeah, conspiracy, a total conspiracy yeah. to, to to shut down Vegas. I I actually couldn't figure out what they were challenging at first because I didn't remember anything. It had been so long before uh, the entry had been so long before the actual goal that uh, that I just assumed that uh, that it was uh, okay because I didn't remember anything being close. Uh, I will say, uh, and it's a new trend because it's occurred probably three times in the, in the games that I've watched this year, uh, the idea that coaches are taking their time out to get extra looks at plays and to be able to come to some kind of consensus whether or not they want to challenge. So they're using that delay to buy them some time. And uh, I'll be curious to see whether the league uh, jumps on that uh, going forward next year. Uh, because in the spirit of the rule, you want to be able to make that call. They they want teams to be able to make that call before the puck drops. And uh, I could see them putting in a rule where if you call a timeout, you're not allowed to challenge uh, after that. So uh, that'll be something interesting going forward. But it was if 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 Bill was offside, he was offside by uh, a millimeter. And uh, I think it was the right call. It, it was that close. It was an inadvertent bump at the blue line, but. Uh, yeah, a little deflating at the time. I was impressed, uh, too, uh, by the way. Bruce Cassidy left that second unit out uh, when they came back and resumed play, and there had been a long gap in there. And he could have easily put the number one unit out because they were rested. Uh, he went back with Bill's group, and, and they scored again. Uh, that was an impressive call by Bruce. Darren Millard is with us. Feed Can Saturday Show, AT&T, Sportsnet, Knights on the road against San Jose tonight in a uh, back-to-back big night for Phil Kessel. Good start to the season. What do you like so far about what Bruce Cassidy's done? Uh, I, I like that he, he's uh, not afraid to look for solutions up front. Even when he's got some lines that are going well, he's trying to find the, the right combination with all of them. And uh, and his and this happened, goes back to the preseason. Uh, it's just uh, his his. The, the leash on it isn't as long as as maybe uh, some coaches, and and he's not afraid to to move guys uh, from different lines. And he did that after the game against Colorado, uh, and and I didn't think they were terrible against Colorado, but he he definitely switched uh, and got more pop out of them in the third period, and he went back to that. And I wouldn't have uh, thought that Stevenson and Eichel would be a natural. Uh, combination that would work because both guys love to hold on to the puck so much. Uh, we saw a little bit of chemistry between them last year, but it, it really connected last night. And that uh, so-called third line between Howden and, uh, and, and Amadio uh, being able to uh, get together and, and be able to make things uh, happen on, on, on that line was uh, was impressive as well. So uh, I think he... Uh, He's still in the early stages of, of learning from this group, but uh, he's he's not giving it five six games per per try. Uh, he's going game by game, period by period, to, and then looking for answers. How impressed have you been with the combination of goalies, and, and how long can this last? I know you know LB will be back somewhat soon, but uh, these guys are the rotation is going pretty well so far. How have you liked it? Well, they play a system, Adam, that uh, that really does uh, prevent 
uh, a lot of pucks getting to the middle. And you have to, as a goaltender, they're asking these guys to, to fight around traffic. And that's going to be, should be their toughest save if things go right. They're going to face some difficult uh, challenges at it, it, uh, locating the puck that's coming at them by looking around bodies. But they're not. They shouldn't have to do as many breakaways as uh, as many as uh, cross ice uh, scene passes uh, through the zone, which which is uh, going to make their life easier. So, uh, in in general terms, there's fewer high danger chances. It should be very limited, but you're going to get uh, a couple of just uh, stuff that you have to really uh, make sure that you're concentrating and and you can't relax at all on, on some of these screenshots. So uh, that they have made every save that they're really supposed to make so far. Uh, they haven't let in what I would consider to be a bad goal yet. There, there's been uh, a facet of every goal that's gone in where you go, that, that that's a pretty good uh, effort. That, uh, that, was, that was a talented play. Even the Nylander play last night, he gets in quite close. And he's he's an upper echelon star in the, in the National Hockey League, so uh, I think it can last longer than you might think from uh, from the outside uh, looking at at two goaltenders that are uh, still unproven as starters in the National Hockey League. I think there's some runway to this thing right now. They 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 can't let their guard down though. They 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 can't think that they've mastered it by any means. I mean, you saw. Uh, uh, example of that Chicago game, there there was breakdowns uh, last night. There was a couple of chances in and around where you got to fight through and battle and, and make a couple of stops. But uh, but uh, I, I think that there's uh, there's a possibility that uh, Bruce Cassidy can ride this for a bit. So going back to Kessel and his his night tonight, he'll be on ESPN real quick. We got a minute. Yeah. He's, we know what he says. He doesn't like to talk about himself. He just kind of, you said, oh, shucks. He puts his head down and just kind of mumbles something when he talks about himself. Will he Will he embrace the moment tonight, or will he just be usual Phil Kessel on TV? Oh, I think he's usual Phil Kessel. But <laughs> inside, inside, he's he's embracing the moment. Family, friends, uh, uh, he, he's, he's happy about this record. He's proud of this record. He wouldn't have played the one shift. Uh, when his child was born, and then flown uh, home uh, for the for the birth of his child, uh, if the if the record didn't mean anything to him, it, it does, and it certainly is something that uh, that he's happy about. Almost like sticking it to the guy, like look at me, I've got the record. Uh, but uh, but uh, he'll he'll on the outside, what we see, it'll be regular Phil. Darren, we appreciate it. We're going to have Darren on uh, hopefully just about every week, uh, depending on the schedule. Thanks for popping on today. Have fun tonight. I'll be regular Darren with you. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Darren. See you, bud. There he is. Darren Millard. Big night for Phil Kessel. It's funny. I was showing you a photo, some stock photo that a website had used on Phil Kessel, who, by the way, has had a really amazing career. Like, we can you know put aside for a second here. The uh, ordinary looking guy, you know, thing. I mean, he consistently throughout his career was a, you know, basically a 27 goal, 35 assist guy. He's been really good. And even last year, what do you have, eight goals and 44 assists? So he can still be very helpful. He kind of looks like your son. Well, I don't know about my son, maybe a, a much younger brother. Um, but <laughs> the, sto- the stock son. photo, I look very young. The stock photo that we were looking at is Phil Castle walking into the arena. And it might have been the opening game. And he's walking in, and there's a line of fans behind barricades. None of them are paying attention. 
Like they're not even acknowledging that he's a player walking in. They're like, where's where's William Carlson? Hey, coach. Coach. Hey, <laughs> hey, equipment guy, Kessel. Coach, can you give me Mark Stone's autograph? And that's kind of the cool thing about him. The guy's 5'11 and 225 pounds and, you know, has lasted all this time, never misses time, and he's a really good player, and I hope he's a really productive player for the Knights. 4 o'clock hour is on the way. A lot more on the Raiders and a lot more on Josh Jacobs and the monster season he's having.